0: I saw the whole deaf and dumb school healed on mats. And I turned around and I saw their teachers crying because they'd lost their
1: job now. Joy is actually a skill. Contentment is actually a skill. These things come out of maturity.
2: What I would say to my younger self, there is a life available for more joy and more meaning and more adventure, and more satisfaction. But it's a life that you cannot get independently. Guys, welcome back
1: to the Ensons Podcast. We are mobile today. Yeah, we're on the road, and we have a repeat guest. So there's two perks for you on your Tuesday morning. You're welcome. We last heard from Jesse Barklow when he was departing into the darkness from which few people return, and we had grave concerns about his trajectory. We are talking about seminary. He was going to seminary. Not only does Jesse still love and believe and have allegiance to Jesus, but he's returned somewhat improved from the experience. (laughs) And so we wanted to have him back in after his first pass through seminary. And out of some conversations that we've been having together, I uh, kind of hopefully tee you up a little bit, Jesse, and then tease out with some questions, some of the stuff that's been coming clear to you and the opportunity to study and in the posture in which you study. And then, uh, we might veer off into the fact that you've jo- rejoined the tri crew for the summer too. So that's another benefit, but
2: we did actually talk about that last time you were on, because I think we were on the verge of About to attempt one anyway. So, yeah, I think that was the last time I've worked out. We're we're all just stuck in a loop and we keep doing the same things. So, (laughs) and one other thing because sometimes real life just comes into the podcast. Blaine is babysitting his daughter today and she is gracing us throughout with a couple of chirps and chimes. So, if you are a parent, it might be your kid in the room, but it also might be
1: coming through the podcast. Anyway. Jesse, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, guys. So, what got this conversation going was really one question that came up over beers uh, around Christmas time. And I'm just going to toss it out to you again, Jesse, and we can riff on it. But I was asking you, now that you've studied a little bit, what do you understand to be the basic question of theology? Small question there. Yeah. I think the basic
0: question of theology. Is whether or not God is good, and uh, yeah, I think that's I guess what the what we're trying to answer when we're talking about these things, and um, and yeah, what we're what we're looking for, the answer we're really looking for when we're talking about language and um, philosophy and biblical studies and all of these things is really is God good.
1: It's fascinating to me because the same answer you gave last time, that's a relief.
2: <laughs> Consistent.
1: <laughs> but I, you know, I, I'd been reading and listening to audiobooks and some of the other questions that sort of uh, circulate in the basic question of theology category are questions like, how can we be saved? Is there any hope for the world? Does God even exist? And it's fascinating that you you can start at those, but there's something like, I don't know, those it, it, it feel like taking several additional steps down the field, actually, mm-hmm. or like diverting from the question that would answer those questions, mm-hmm. which has to do with like the nature of God. Mm-hmm. And like, I think mean the question is, is that... Obvious to other people? You, know, you kind of roll in the theology world right now. Is that like, or is this something that in your Meaning own life it? and walk with God you have un, like understood as you no, know, the question we're asking is this one? Mm-hmm. Or is it you show up on, on your first day? People go, okay, so welcome. The only question we're really going to be asking here as we study biblical languages and hermeneutics and soteriology is is God actually trustworthy? (laughs) Yeah, no, I I mean, I mean, of course I'm not the
0: only one asking that question. Um, But it's, yeah, it definitely doesn't seem to be the central question, at least, at least not in the program that I'm in. And I think, yeah, it's interesting, like the question of God's existence, which almost seems like it's more fundamental. I don't, I don't think it actually is, but that one, it's, it seems like most people have already assumed God doesn't exist or that he does. And that's, I think you kind of have to, but surprising number of people seem to have assumed God doesn't exist in, in seminary. So they're, uh, not really asking if God is good. And, uh, yeah, I guess those of us who, who start with this idea that yes, God exists. And then the next, the question really is, yeah, do we trust him? Is he who he says he is? Is he a he? <laughs>
2: <laughs> right. Gendered language yeah. and all that. Yeah. I, I love that that's the question that you feel we are still trying to answer because it seems like the question, beyond all the ones that Blaine mentioned, people make the assumption whether he exists or not. And then for me, the next question is, well, what is he like? And that seems to be like all of the little offshoots and things like that. I I think of how many philosophical questions I've had where people look around at the world and they go, well, either God is not all powerful or he is not all good because Mm -hmm. an all powerful God would be able to control the problem of evil, of pain, of war, or he's not all good because he allows those things and Mm -hmm. is still powerful. And yet that sort of, to me feels like not the same question, even that you are naming that we're trying to pursue. It feels like the, the question that you're naming it's all the way back to the garden of Eden and, and the tree again of like, yeah. is God's heart good? Right. Can he, she be trusted? Right. And how many times do we say no? I think it's, yeah, it's, it feels like such a foundational question that I almost am surprised that we have to come back to that. And that's yeah. what you're saying. We're after this whole time.
1: Yeah. Because what else matters beyond that? I mean, it reminds me of CS Lewis's observation that, religion comes out of the reality that every human being has an experience of the numinous of some power overshadowing the world. Mm. Every human being has an experience sort of intimate or not with the presence of a moral law. And then when those things become reconciled into like a higher power in the form of a God, then you, the only question, the question is, Oh, dear God, who is this being in mm-hmm. the, And why, you know, the gospel is called news is because it's news. It's it's a bit of information about a set of events happening inside a story that go, we have the answer to who this being is. Mm. But there was a really pivotal moment. I think of one time on a walk with a young guy actually at one of our events at Ransom Tart and, you know, he's kind of got his head in his hands and he just goes, how do you, just how do you know that God is actually there? And i kind of i'm really tempted to jump into it and just go oh my well this is this is a great starting point because you know inner subjectivity the emergence of a shared common world we have great confidence that there is a world and from there we can build out and just i'm tempted to begin the same failed effort that human beings incline towards Mm. which is to let stand in judgment over God yeah. or actually build a system external to God that is capable of evaluating right. Jesus. And there was just enough of the prompting of the Holy Spirit in this moment where it, there's just sort of this quiet thing that goes, don't, don't take that bait. That's not his question. And so we're kind of walking in silence and I'm kind of going, what is the question? And Jesus kind of goes, the question is, will I actually speak? are the things I say trustworthy? Hmm. When I say that I can restore all things, is that true? Do I have holding places for your suffering in me? And so I just start explaining these things. And it was just a rescue and one of the turning points in the conversation and for this person to go, that's not your question at all. A better fundamental question is, will he speak? And when you hear him, can you trust that? And they all have to do with, you already have an experience of, Something before your existence, right? You know, overshadowing your life. The question is, what is this being like? And can I actually like lean into what I would like to relationally with God? Yeah. And it's just, it turns out that it is the basic question. Whereas the illusion is that the basic question is first, let's build something that allows us to. Right. evaluate God or knowledge or our own subject position. And then from there we can proceed with confidence. Yeah. You know, a lower order of things will never be able to stand in judgment over a higher order of things. Right. The thing that we have to start with is actually like an evaluation of love and trust. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Cause the only thing you can respond to God with is faith and that's not something you respond to when you're asking the question of like, can this be proven? Can this existence be proven? But when the question is, "What is this being, and what is this? What is existence?" and like you said, can will God speak? Yeah, the only thing you respond in is is in faith, which yeah is not very satisfying for a lot of people. But
1: we work really hard as human beings to avoid that reality. Yeah, that something in us, a sense in our very nature, we are built who is sent to the reality of a good God. Mm. And then there is a choice in us that is the loving choice, which is the affirmation of that, which is expressed through our faith or allegiance. Like, yes, but it reminds me of another conversation, different guy in seminary. Again, another really good guy. And what he was railing against was apophatic theology and the via negativa and the attempt of people to go, Okay, we can't define what God is, but we can define what God is not. And by process of elimination, we can actually, again, build through our own effort and with our own confidence, a way to sort of evaluate and affirm propositionally God's nature. What's so silly about that is that, you know, going, well, we know God is not evil, so we can get that off the table as he goes, we have the positive, the positive expression of God in Jesus. We don't need apophatic theology because what we're actually confronted with and called to respond to is this person Mm, of, there is God and the choice is in front of you and it's not between apophatic or not apophatic.
2: Yeah. Jesse, I remember you sharing a story uh, where you were in a class with a professor who kind of offhanded gave an interpretation or, or her sort of verdict on an author of of one of the books and uh, I remember you saying something along the lines that this professor kind of announced to the class that we don't have to throw this particular author out even though some of it might read a little misogynistic or whatever the case was Mm -hmm. and that we can take it with the rest and in its place and here's how we can now understand them and I think maybe this professor's intention was good to be like there's some language in here that doesn't line up with modern day ideas and understanding and we have to kind of place things back in their context however the very action that this professor was doing was sort of giving their approval on it or not Mm -hmm. and i remember you (laughs) responding to it of like wait wait wait! we as individuals don't have the authority to get to throw these things out or not right was that an experience that you've found has happened from class to class, from idea to idea? I mean, and what's the motivating kind of impulse that you found there of kind of our own interpretation and how much that necessarily matters or doesn't?
0: Yeah, that definitely happens. And what's interesting is I I think it kind of goes back to what we were talking about, that the posture in which you come to God and the word of God and scripture reveals itself in those things. So like and, and you're judged by your judgment. So if you come to it and say, like, okay, I'm going to decide if this is acceptable and you're talking about the Word of God or I'm going to decide that God exists and you're talking about God, like, you, in that, actually bring judgment on yourself because you cannot judge, you cannot judge God and you cannot judge the Word of God. And so you have to come to it ready to receive. Um, and I think you see that, I mean, you see that in Scripture when, especially in um, the Gospel of, of John, where the Pharisees are constantly putting Christ on trial and attempting to decide, okay, who are you? if you say you're this then prove it by this and give us a sign of these things And the point is that Christ is the judge and that you and so you can't judge the judge and so like to, to come to any of it with that posture, it just doesn't work and so to come to a book mm-hmm. of the the Old Testament and say, okay, we don't have to throw this out I can show you how we can keep it and it's like he, why did you think you could throw a book of the Bible out in the first place? And that's not to say that you don't come with a, with a, with your mind and and your thoughts. But but if it's the living word, of, or if it's the word of God, if it's the inspired word of God, then then you're not coming to decide whether or not you throw it out or you keep it. You're coming to say what is God saying through this word. Mm. And um, yeah. So that that whole attitude, though, you see it. I think. In, I think we each deal with it, and we each, you know, we bring the judgment all the time. I do it all the time. Where I'm like, okay, well, I, I'm going to decide whether or not this is okay, and I'm going to decide whether or not that's okay. If you come to anything thinking yourself the judge, you find yourself being judged by that.
2: Okay, so I want you to, I want you to reconcile something for me. Mm-hmm. I, I really appreciate the litmus test that Jesus gives us of knowing things by their fruit. Mm-hmm. Gives us the ability to see if something is Tove or not by what the action or the belief. Produces. I'll be honest, there's been that that's been something I use frequently and have even used about Christianity and about this God by looking at men and women who have gone before, mm-hmm. whether in history or in this current living time, I want to look at their lives and go, is what you believe worth following? Or does mm-hmm. it seem to decay, induce anxiety? Is it sort of a, a hippie? nice feeling, blasé thing that you could slap any name on. And is that different than me judging the judge? Or is that just me using my faculty as someone who has a mind with this litmus test that Jesus gave us? I I, right. I love what you were saying about we don't get to judge the judge. We don't get to say whether or not he's, he exists or not. He will exist regardless of what we say. Right. And yet I also feel this needs to know whether something is worth following.
0: Right. It may be that that's a response to two different things in the sense that you've already said, like Christ gave us this litmus test to use. So you're responding to Christ and saying, okay, I hear your word. You say, do things this way. So I'm going to try to live that way. And so with the eyes of Christ, then you look at tradition, you look at uh, other thoughts and people and practices and these things through the eyes of Christ and say, is this like Christ. Is this bringing life? So I absolutely think that's, that's true. But you're not doing that to Christ. You're not saying, okay, Christ, I'm going to look at you the way you've told me to look at you.
1: Oh my gosh. A key point, I think even generationally, and it's to go, okay, we do not beat uh, false convictions and bad hermeneutics and bad methodologies By scaling back and by going into the ambiguity of of a false humility Mm. that goes, we can't stand in judgment over God. We beat bad convictions, methodologies, and theologies with better ones that align more fully to our charge and the way that we are oriented. Mm. And we go, you know, there are lots of charges, most notably in Timothy, rightly divide the word of truth, like a an older apostle. To his student going, you need to present yourself equipped. Here's how you equip yourself. Mm. You begin with the basic pieces and you work outwards. And everything has to line up with the narrative of the good God. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, you are charged to use your faculties of uh, discernment. And you are charged to understand Mm-hmm. what is true to the story God is telling in right. view of the person of Jesus and what is not and to be able to make judgments. I recently had a conversation with a guy and I did the same and thing and I actually haven't connected with him again yet. But <laughs> how it's going to go is it's going to go like this. I'm going to go, hey, what I said was totally wrong because he was frustrated by everyone having a piece of the kingdom and thinking it's the whole piece. Mm. And and I went, yeah, man. And I just totally went negative in our generational thinking is to say the solution is if people could recognize the limitations of their subject position, if people could go, but we know we don't have the whole thing, Mm. you know, we're we're creatures before Holy God. Like, I'm like, no, 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 that is not the answer. It would be better to go. Yeah. If people were more fully committed to discerning what is available for us in Jesus, Mm. like the process of discipleship, And growing in maturity of a knowledge of God is meant to fix that problem. It's meant to fix us, you know, having small gospels that don't include the whole thing. Yeah. Not relinquishing our discernment, not going, you know, who has seen God? Like, I don't know, a lot, every person that saw Jesus had many people since, like. That subjectivity
0: is the invitation to participate in the gospel, not to, not to, yeah, to build your own, like, okay, here I have it now but it's also not to sit back and say, well, I just don't quite get it. It's a participation in the gospel, in that story, and the subjectivity is there, but if you're not actively engaged in it, and if you're not actually in the pursuit of truth with Christ, I, yeah, you're not growing, and you're not understanding your neighbor, let alone you know yourself, and that to resign yourself to a "Quote unquote subjective position" is basically to give up your actual subjectivity because you're not active anymore. Like to just say, "Oh well, I can't, I can't uh, understand this." Is to, I guess, to refuse to continue to act as a subject, as an individual in the world.
1: Right. And, and the difference of Christianity is that rather than having a relative coordinate plane of a bunch of people, none of whom is are, are actually the center, who can only evaluate themselves relative to other people. We have an absolute coordinate system Mm. in the person of Jesus of, yes, we have a subject position that is locatable Mm. on a definitive set of, you know, propositional and uh, like uh, ethical coordinates relative to Jesus. Yeah. We have an absolute. And so we're not like. Loading through right. theology, trying to figure out, well, if I start from here, where can I get to? Right. Like you're looking around going like, where is God and how do I become closer to him? Right. Yeah. Yeah. How do I become perfect as my father is perfect? And if he says that, then there must be a path for us. So this connects with another thing I wanted to ask about. And it's you wrote a paper on, on John, which you sort of been speaking out of a little bit. And had been reading around a theme in John, which is the use of seeing and blindness and also the use of paradox. Mm. Can you talk about why it's important that Jesus actually holds out paradoxes to his Mm. audience and then uh, what you were sort of identifying as the solution to paradox?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the importance of that, of the paradox and the sort of the existence of the paradox, the... The nature of the paradox is the ground of our faith, so a lot of people have thought in this way, especially for me, Kierkegaard has been a, a major influence in my life, but um, this idea that when it comes to Christ as God and man, it's something that we cannot understand. Is He's someone that we cannot respond to just with reason, we have to respond in faith. And so the paradox is you either mm-hmm. respond in faith or, as you see in all the Gospels, You respond by offense at Christ and who he says he is. You respond, you're offended that God would become a man or you're offended that a man would claim to be God. And you're offended that why would you be such a lowly, pathetic, seemingly weak human if you're God? And why aren't you writing things in the world right now? And why aren't you saying yes to the power over the kingdom and over the kingdoms of the earth? And, you know, basically the three temptations like that's offensive to our nature, or we respond in faith and say, "Oh, yes, I accept. That I see that you are God, or I accept in faith." So that's sort of the my understanding of, I guess, of the paradox of of the faith, and you see that play out, especially in John, with this with his ideas of judgment and with the ideas of blindness and seeing, um, and John uses a lot of paradoxical language, light and darkness, upper and lower, but this idea that and and this does play back to this coming to Christ. If you're coming to him in judgment, as you see certain characters in the Gospel of John doing, especially the Pharisees, they come to decide who is this man? Is he speaking the truth? Where did he get his training? And in light of the miracles, in light of the truth that he speaks, in light of his wisdom, in light of everything he's doing they realize they aren't there to accept him, they're there to reject him, and so they slowly become blind. And the passage I focused on when I was looking at this was um, when Christ heals the blind man, the second blind man, on the Sabbath. And there's witnesses who say, oh, yes, he was blind. And then the parents come and say, yes, this was our son who was blind. And the Pharisees cannot accept that because if they accept that, then they have to accept that Christ is god or at least that christ is working in the power of god and they have already decided they've already made this judgment in their hearts that he is not because if they have to submit to that then they have to be brought to the light themselves so you see them slowly become blind to the even the facts that are in front of them and Hmm. the reality whereas the blind man is actually physically brought to sight and then by the end of the story is the first uh, character in the gospel of john to call Christ Lord and to acknowledge not just his power as a prophet, but actually his existence as God and man. And so there's that bringing to light of us who are blind and, and the blinding of those who come to him in judgment. And because they've already made a judgment, they can't even see the realities in front of them. So they can't see the truth. Which means you know you start tossing out books of the Bible because it doesn't fit the way you yeah. want things to
2: be. How I'm sure this paper went over super well at a <laughs> seminary that's pretty prestigious and is all about analyzing and coming to an understanding, coming to a verdict. Yeah, I like got a, a passable grade. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm glad to hear that <laughs> because it's it's phenomenal.
1: But just even hearing you say it again, when it comes to a tool that feels this is a tool that you can use in your own life all the time, which is I am confronted regularly with, I don't know, the paradox of a life with God of having everything, possessing nothing, all Mm. those beautiful things that Paul rolls out. And it can just feel like, well, you've just got like, I'm I'm stuck. I can't solve this and just go, actually, those are always opportunities Mm. where what's being held up for you is can you Uh, Do you recognize and respond to Jesus as God and as good? Yeah. And then you actually have a place to build out from. Yeah. And it just, you know, we talk about in academia, your methodology of, can you make explicit, how are you going to do this? Like you're going to read old texts and you're going to find the use of one word and you have a method. We're given methods in our life with God and sort of examples of, this one will lead to a positive outcome. This one has no chance of drawing you closer to God, of revealing the story of God to you. And one of when you are confronted with what looks like a paradox, solving the paradox is not the method.
0: Like mm, yeah, Like
1: Recognizing that Jesus is holding out to you an opportunity to affirm him or to curse him right, right. and then... Depending on your result, you'll be able to work from there. It's a totally different way of approaching confrontation in our own story.
2: Yeah. So Jesse, I love a lot of what you're bringing today because it has this very appropriate posture of humility as we approach God and studying God. And yet, it's not humble to a fault where there's no point in studying. Rather, Mm. It's just, I don't get to put him up for trial and I don't get to you know do these very accurate things and so therefore I'm just going to kind of live on the faith of him being good mm-hmm. like it can st- it's actually still both for you that yeah. it's still worth going to seminary right. and studying but with a different shift like what's the posture that you have to hold on to as you have walked through this last year and are continuing to walk through it
0: yeah yeah you named it the humility of of coming to it as the humility of recognizing that what you're talking about is God, what you're thinking about is God, what you're studying is either something talking about God or the word of God or something like that. Um, and so, of course, you're not coming in a judgment of God, and well, at least you shouldn't be, and it's amazing how many times it's revealed in your own heart. You're like, wow, I really am. Over and over and over again. Uh-huh. Yeah, Yeah, uh, but right, you're not coming blind you're being made to see and you and that's being revealed and you're using your faculties and your reason and you're studying the greek language um and you're discovering all the textual questions you know not just in the translation but in the original greek coming with that yeah with that posture of like i i am a thinking human being who's been asked to be not judgmental but to be discerning and to discern especially you know the things of the world um which includes the language used in scripture and, you know, the church fathers and all the greatest theologians. And even, you know, like for me, it's really hard to want to judge Kierkegaard to to discern Kierkegaard because I think he's, you know, never said anything wrong. (laughs) Like bringing that real, recognizing that posture of like, yeah, you're coming with discernment, not of, Mm. okay, was God right or wrong about this? But like, what is God saying here? How is it speaking? Where's the truth in this? And you know how do we understand it and what does that look like for us today because it's um you know culture history tradition they're all definitely developing and so knowing that there's like a living experience that we need to have and i think part of it for me too is seeing that you have to start at the beginning like you don't we as individuals don't just kind of pick up where history left off like oh thank goodness it's the 21st century i'm so much smarter than socrates because he didn't know anything at least what he knew. I already learned it because I read it in a textbook, and so I can just kind of pick up from there. or I can
2: find it out with five minutes of googling. yeah, more likely a little bit of
0: Google. yeah, absolutely, so recognizing that we each start at the beginning, especially with these questions of mm. how we're gonna walk through this life is you know like you don't pick up halfway through, you have to ask all these questions, you have to go through the doubts, you have to go through the hard stuff um so I think that's been.
2: Part of the driving factor as well. Mm. Yeah, it's good. As Susie and I have been talking about as she's been reading doing a, a study of the Bible through the year, there's really difficult things to reconcile with these mm. days. Mm-hmm. Because we're reading it obviously in twenty first century and I mean the New Testament is foreign enough. Right. And then you throw in the old. And yet we come to The thing that the disciples said after Christ's teaching on his body and blood they said to him where else would we go you alone have the words of life and as awkward and uh, not awkward but okay as as much tension as there is in order to hold i'm pursuing in in this study and also not holding you in judgment like that's show me that that fine line because I don't even know that the naked eye could pick it up. It's right. so difficult
1: and requires right. so much correction and yet, where else will you go? Yeah. So speaking out of that, the where else would we go? One more question and though this would be fun to keep doing uh, and make another French press and just see where the morning goes, <laughs> <laughs> I'd just love to ask, in the opportunity for some dedicated time to study and dedicated time to thought and yet not because you're trying to reconcile it with the season of being a new dad and you know the goal is to get on get on first base, not hit home runs. But what are things that have made you enjoy God more or provoked awe or gratitude or wonder, anything in that region? Uh, Just small things that have come out of this season of study. What are things that you are glad to know? Just Mm. are there two or three that come to mind?
0: Yeah. um, I mean, studying Greek and getting to read New Testament scripture in Greek has been really, really fun. I mean, it's just amazing, I guess, the way language works and the way God is using human language and and human uh, like you know created this for us and this tool for us and any the way it operates in it and yet the way it stays so in some ways ambiguous or at least requires so much of our spirit to interpret and understand and to and to walk in and you have this very structured uh intellectual system that is amazing as you delve into it and it just becomes more and more more profound the the more you think you understand, the more complex you realize it all is. And yet without the spiritual reality of your existence and your response to to God in that, it can become just totally empty. And um, I think that's been enjoyable, both the, the study of it and just the realization that it doesn't fix the problem. It doesn't answer the question by itself. And then being opened up to a world of authors and theologians that i've never read before and it's just some beautiful language and thought and and tradition
1: i love the visible posture and there's something in even the play of what you're doing and like the recognition that as gravely serious as it is it's all gift and bonus mm. that we have texts rather than not,
2: mm-hmm. that we
1: have a story and tradition I understand rather than not. And that actually those are all opportunities for the, use the word again, like play that dimension of ourselves. That's meant for this sort of structured regulated exploration, mm-hmm. but, you know, with like incredible reward mm-hmm. into texts in the person of God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jesse, thanks for coming back on the Ensense podcast. Yeah, absolutely. You, uh, I think you're retied for second place for <laughs> number of appearances. You might even be tied for first place, but... Well, it's a three-year program, so I should... That's true. By the end of this thing. That'll be perfect. Can't wait to check in next year. <laughs>